0: Hello, everyone. In this episode of the Saltwater Coffee podcast, we are going to be checking out historical accuracy in war films. essential question for this episode is why do the majority of historical war films diverge so heavily from reality? We've all seen the based on a true story quote-unquote tagline in Hollywood films, right? Lots of drama, romance, action, and thrills. Well, according to Hollywood, it all happened for real, right? However, anyone who has done even basic research knows that many of these true story films are twisted beyond reality or based on a flat-out lie, for that matter. In many ways, it seems like Hollywood makes up its own reality, especially when it comes to history. Our villains are turned into heroes, defeats into victories, and our two protagonists fall in love and ride off into the sunset every single time. Yet, the history books often tell us the opposite. Real life does not happen like it does in movies. So, why do films change the story so often? Well, I can think of a number of possible explanations. The first is the modern myth. We tend to gravitate towards traditional stories of heroes and villains. Anyone familiar with the writings of Joseph Campbell knows about his theory of the journey of the archetypical hero, right? The hero with a thousand faces. Everything from ancient folklore to modern reporting uses this essential narrative. Essentially, Westerners are weaned on the stories of brave heroes fighting the good fight against evil and rescuing the damsel in distress, right? We see the same kind of myth-making with war stories as they're passed on to future generations, you know. Oh, when Grandpa was a young man, he joined the army to fight the evil Nazis, and he returned home a hero, and now he's part of the greatest generation. You know, that's just a kind of a typical example, but that's not to suggest that Grandpa joined a worthless cause, or that we're overemphasizing the need to oppose fascism and genocide, but let us ask ourselves what Grandpa really did during the war. Perhaps in reality, Grandpa was wounded early on in his first battle and then immediately shipped home to spend the rest of the war in a hospital. Or maybe he never even fired his weapon at the enemy before he got hit. Or maybe Grandpa literally spent the entire war typing reports at a desk. He never even saw combat. But you know, to little Jimmy, Grandpa is a war hero who fought in World War II. In many ways, it kind of resembles if you've ever played the the telephone game, where one person at the front of the line tells a story to the person behind them, and by the time the story reaches the end of the line, it's totally different, right? Similarly, memory does funny things as time goes on, and survivors' stories can often drastically change with age and as they're passed from person to person. I certainly don't mean to discredit personal accounts and memoirs, but... As stories are passed down, and if no effort is made to accurately document them, then the details can get shifted around. The volume of bullets gets larger, the explosions get louder. What started off as a dogfight with three enemy planes eventually turns into four, and then it becomes more muddy with like, oh there was three to six enemy fighters, and so on and so forth. Eventually the story takes on a life of its own and becomes a kind of myth. When in fact the reality is that it may have been all very routine. Another reason I can think of is the need for drama. This is related to the idea of the modern myth. As you do historical research, you'll occasionally find that reality is far more mundane, uninteresting, or anticlimactic. The characters or events seem flat and do not follow the arcs that moviegoers are used to. That action-packed battle in reality was not a decisive victory, or Those legal proceedings, in reality, did not even go to trial, or that love affair, in reality, did not end tragically. However, people like clear character and story arcs. Similarly, directors, writers, and studio executives often feel the need to make films that appeal to a wide range of audiences in order to get the biggest returns at the box office. This is why so many films have basically the same character and narrative tropes and cliches that we've all seen before. Subsequently, these films are all very conventional and quote-unquote safe because they insert drama where audiences would expect it. Effectively, all historical films are dramatizations and can only approximate the reality, but to what degree and what liberties they take with the amount of dramatization will vary. Another reason, of course, is just poor or non-existent research. This is obviously the laziest reason for historical inaccuracy in that people are simply not doing their homework or doing very sloppy research. Their facts may be based off of flawed assumptions and long-standing myths. You know, all modern naval vessels are battleships. They're not. All fighter jets get within visual range to dogfight with each other. Uh, they don't. You know, all infantry weapons fire on fully automatic, which negates the need to aim, and they have bottomless magazines. They don't. You know, all Germans in World War II were Nazis, and the Waffen SS were elite military units, and dozens of war criminals escaped to South America following the war. They didn't, you know, and the list goes on and on and on, right? So take your pick. Wild stories and gossip tend to reinforce a lot of these misconceptions to the point where people actually start to accept these things as fact without taking the time to dig deeper hence poor or non-existent research. Another reason could be time constraints. This one's pretty straightforward. Films often need to compress events into a certain running time. All those events, you know, in reality, maybe took place over several months, as opposed to days, which the film shows. Another kind of interesting one is the the idea of values dissonance. This is something that is constantly changing, and it happens when the historical values or mores presented in a film Conflicts with modern audiences, or what, mo- what modern audiences would deem appropriate. So this means that, in other words, societal and character values and beliefs presented in reality would be offensive to modern viewers, so thus the characters are made more sympathetic. So maybe our German protagonist, you know, is presented very sympathetically in a film, but in reality he was actually a fervent Nazi who was not sympathetic toward the Jews, and maybe they were complicit in war crimes. Or maybe our pioneering female protagonist in reality uh, would have hit the brick wall that was patriarchal attitudes at the time and would never have been allowed to do what she did in the film. Then, of course, another reason could be that reality is unrealistic. Sometimes the actual events that occurred were so outlandish and they were that one in a million occurrence, but yet they really happened. But they're changed because audiences would never believe it because Hollywood has effectively conditioned us to believe certain tropes and conventions. So, for example, you know, people in films carry around gold bricks like they're nothing. Or getting shot sends people flying dozens of feet backwards, or your body will pop like a balloon when exposed to zero atmosphere, and you know, and the list goes on and on. You know, none of those things actually happen, yet those tropes persist in films because it looks dramatic, you know, but the reality is just, well, (laughs) no, those things don't happen. Much of these tropes are simple exaggerations for visual or audible effect. In reality, those gold bricks are really dense and heavy. Uh, Firearms and bullets do not defy the laws of Newtonian physics, and your body does not pop if you're immediately exposed to zero atmosphere, from one atmosphere, that is. Yet people expect the exact opposite because we see it in movies so often. Then we come to the issue of politics. Whatever your personal leanings are, Hollywood is pretty firmly in the liberal camp. Invariably, it chooses or creates very sappy stories which are designed to tug at our heartstrings or otherwise appeal to a very liberal sentiment. Okay. Now, this is not necessarily like liberal as in political, but like liberal as in sentiments, right? This is not necessarily a bad thing. But understand that Hollywood has a very particular political or emotional bias. I mean, just look at the Academy Awards and examine the films that have won Best Picture. Most of them are dramas, romantic dramas, and occasionally epics, but these are all genres of films that rely heavily on emotional weight. The point is that a story will often be written so as to appeal to our emotions even if it flies in the face of logic or accuracy. Characters and events will be changed to make them more or less sympathetic to modern viewers and to voice foist some emotional baggage on the audience. Our heroes are always stalwart champions of noble causes and possess no serious flaws. Whatever flaws they do have, they'll learn their lesson over the course of the film and change for the better. Similarly, the villains get their comeuppance in the end, right? Another problem with Hollywood politics is the danger of whitewashing or misrepresenting minorities or events, right? So maybe in reality that one character was a virulent racist, or... In reality, those two people people were not bitter rivals, but they were actually close friends. Or maybe that character in reality was not Caucasian, but African American. Of course, when taken to the extreme, some people interpret this misrepresentation not as artistic license on the behalf of dramatic storytelling, but as political or racial whitewashing done by Hollywood executives. So... Why is historical accuracy important in films, now that we've looked at some of the potential broad reasons? I once heard a quote that said, people go to the movies to feel, not to understand. Movies themselves are entertainment. We like the drama, the thrills, the action, the horror, the romance, and so on. We understand that movies are fiction, that they never really happened, right? The problem is, when you're dealing with historical content in films, It's that it somewhat negates the above quote and it kind of expects people to both feel the drama and understand the factual occurrence of the events that it is depicting. The trick is to portray things in a subtle fashion and not pound people over the head with a preachy social message. It should be noted that we're not discussing censorship or propaganda here, which is to try to force a certain viewpoint. And as far as we know, there are no laws in the U.S. that denote what constitutes historical accuracy in films. If there were such laws, then Hollywood might be a far more boring place with the, their First Amendment rights being violated. But anyway, more often than not, it boils down to what historically-based films the studio execs think will make lots of money at the box office. It's always about the money for them, right? Furthermore, historians sometimes disagree on the same events or persons, so it's up to the writer and the audience to determine which version to accept. Alex von Tunzelman opines that learning to navigate the sea of real and fictitious information in films starts with education and the studying of history. Quote, if we learn to think critically as individuals and as societies, we can make better judgments and decisions. We can not only survive complexity, but embrace it. End quote. This is easier said than done when school social studies curricula force students through hundreds of years of history at a breakneck speed with little time to go into depth on any one topic. Not to mention the age-old problem that history is boring to so many students. I mean, I would know, because I'm a history teacher. I can't spend the whole semester going into depth on the various voyages of Christopher Columbus when we need to get through the renaissance, you know, several hundred years worth of history, by next month. The only classes that really go into serious depth on any particular topic are probably those in higher education. However, Tunzelman is right in that learning to think critically and discern fact from fiction does begin with education. Movies can vary in historical accuracy and they certainly can be entertaining, but generally speaking they do not present a very well-rounded or deep view of history. It's much quicker and more convenient to watch a 90-minute film than to take a few weeks to read a 500-page history book. The danger here is deriving your view from history solely from an entertainment medium like movies or video games. Historians certainly do not use either of those things as sources in their writing. Now it may seem silly, but when people are more concerned with being entertained, then they tend to take a dim view of the historical details and the necessary work required to get a comprehensive understanding of them. Thus, I urge people to consult more reputable sources than your average movie or video game. Others, like Greg Jenner, believe that historical films, accurate or not, serve to encourage public fascination with historical topics, provided that historians can respond appropriately. Jenner does have a point. Any person with half a brain in their skulls knows that entertainment products are not to be taken as fact, but they can expose people to new and interesting ideas. Yet, one of the dangers of inaccurate representations is the risks of offending certain people. For example, the Museum of Auschwitz took issue with a scene in the Amazon TV series Hunters that depicted a deadly game of human chess occurring at the infamous Nazi concentration camp. They said that such, a scene, that such scenes promote, quote, "...dangerous foolishness and caricature," end quote, and encourage Holocaust deniers in addition to being disrespectful of the camp's some 1.1 million victims. In another example, Canadian Senator Romeo Dallaire, the former commander of the UN mission in Rwanda during the 1994 genocide, had this to say about the film Hotel Rwanda. Quote, I think the only value of Hotel Rwanda is the fact that it keeps the Rwandan genocide alive, but as far as content, it's Hollywood. When people use the term Hollywood in a pejorative way, it's because they produce junk like that. It has further been noted that while the 2004 film painted Paul Rusesabagina as the savior of more than 1,200 people who escaped certain death at the UN-protected Hotel de Mille Collines, Rwandan groups have since accused him of revisionist history, genocide denial, and profiteering off the refugees he sheltered. So, there's certainly a line somewhere between minor inaccuracies and misrepresenting history at the expense of tact. If you're going to be tackling a historical subject such as a traumatic event, like a genocide, then there's definitely no need to make something up or otherwise revise history for the sake of drama, because there are plenty of dramatic and horrific real-life stories out there already. So this raises the question of, if movies are entertainment products meant to be consumed and felt on an emotional level, then why is it important for historical films to be accurate to the facts? Should we sacrifice historical history for the sake of drama or artistic license? Or should we maintain historical accuracy at the expense of drama? If we're going on the assumption that we watched quote-unquote based on a true story films, with the intention of both feeling the drama and gaining an understanding of the events, then I would argue that it is important for movies to make a solid effort to represent the facts with reasonable accuracy. History is a story based on fact. Even history books can be arduous to slog through. Poorly written ones come off as preachy and pedantic as well. However, when they're told well, the factual evidence can be extremely dramatic. There's plenty of fiction out there already, and historical Fiction can be just as entertaining without compromising accuracy. Much of this goes back to my opinions expressed in an earlier post called Don't Don't Cheapen History. It's important that we honor the memory of both people and events, both good and bad. History is filled with heroes, villains, and everything in between. Excessive pandering to a particular bias can run the risk of looking like propaganda. In contrast, a well-told accurate story can portray different perspectives of the same people or events, and let audiences come to their own conclusions. Arguably, the bottom line is that it all starts with educating yourself and not blindly accepting fictional representations as fact. Movies may not need to be historically accurate, but people do need to understand how to think critically and distinguish genuine sources from entertainment. If you only care about being entertained, then don't draw your historical knowledge solely from films. If you want to be knowledgeable on a subject, then you've got to put in the effort to learn it properly and from reputable sources. What we don't want is for the entertainment value to supersede the historical value of a work based on history. In doing so, we revise history and sacrifice facts for political or social agendas simply because it's convenient or safe. The reality is that history is replete with people who have just as many virtues as they have vices, and you can't just retreat into your safe space to rewrite the narrative every time you encounter something that offends you. We should take the time to learn about history, warts and all. So a lot of people kind of think like, oh, I learned about this in school. Well, believe it or not, I once taught a class focused on historical depictions in film. Now, (laughs) sorry to burst your bubble, but I didn't just have students sit around and watch movies all class. I only showed a small number of films and the rest of the class was research oriented. So I kind of got to thinking, what if we extended that premise to go deeper into history? So like, let's imagine an elective course, but we'll call this hypothetical class uh, Factor Fiction, Military History Through Film. So let's suppose for this class that we pick some historical battles that are frequently depicted on film the students would spend some time researching the actual engagements and then watch both accurate and inaccurate films depicting those battles. And after they watch the films, then they would need to write a compare and contrast essay analyzing the films and how accurate or inaccurate they are. So for example, let's take the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, right? So you would research the actual attack, the timetable of events, the commanders, the units, the vehicles, etc., whatever, and create a, like, I don't know, 20 or 30 slide presentation outlining what you've learned in your research. Then next, you, we would go on to, say, watch the films Pearl Harbor from Michael Bay in 2001 and Tora 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 from 1970. Then, after that, we would write a five to ten page essay comparing and contrasting the depictions of the attack on film focus on the timetable of events, the depictions of personnel and vehicles, the targets, the outcomes of the operation, and so on, right? We would obviously find that the film Tora, Tora, Torah* in 1970 is far more accurate than Michael Bay's 2001 film Pearl Harbor. So if we take that sort of scope and sequence, just imagine how well the students will be able to synthesize their learning of real history with the depictions on film. The question is, do you think they'd be able to retain the actual information better, or do you think they would still find history boring? So we've talked about possible reasons for why films are historically inaccurate and why historical accuracy is important in films. So let's lay down some criteria next. What makes a film historically accurate? Well, there are many factors that contribute to historical accuracy in films. A film can be accurate in one area, but completely fictitious in another. So it's unfair to really expect 100% historical accuracy in a film. Even documentaries do not get things 100% right. So let's assume some reasonable degree of leeway as we break down some possible criteria for accuracy in war films. First up, does the film have accurate depictions of the historical events? They could be battles, the tactics, the strategy, the political discourse, etc. Did the events depicted actually occur, or they made up for dramatic effect? Uh, The Germans did not bomb Pearl Harbor. (laughs) Next up, does the film have reasonably accurate depictions of historical people? Their personality, their actions, their physical resemblance, and so on. Obviously, this is difficult if this person is long dead, but the depiction of them, is it reasonable to what we actually know about them? So right, if you had like an African-American Woodrow Wilson who raps in beatboxes, that would look pretty strange if you ask me. Does the film have accurate representations of hardware, either genuine or mock-ups or CGI, be they weapons, vehicles, uniforms, and so on? Now when it comes to war movies, people usually have the sharpest eye for this area of accuracy, right? But it's understandable, you know, that maybe some hardware just doesn't exist anymore, is... Maybe it's prohibited for civilians to own, or it's monetarily impractical to have to acquire it. Or maybe it's just so rare, there's no way you would get your hands on it. But efforts put towards making things accurate does go a long way towards audience immersion, right? Audiences can pick these things out. Oh, they don't, that's the wrong weapon, that's the wrong tank, or whatever. You know, a modern Challenger 2 main battle tank rolling around the Somme in World War I would really stand out and look pretty strange. <laughs> Finally, does the film have accurate depictions of settings, either actual locations or stand-ins, or again, computer-generated imagery? This could be the settings in relation to geography, climate, time of day, weather, and so on. So kind of for example, if you're going to film the actual pyramids of Giza, well, then you better shoot them facing only south with the desert in the background. Otherwise, from any other direction, you're going to have to digitally remove all the modern buildings that surround the pyramids. So what it all amounts to is how much effort the filmmakers put into creating a faithful and respectful tribute to the events and the people. If the tone of the film is serious, then the hard work, the research, and attention to details pay off. Otherwise, the film better be clearly fictional or fantastical in its premise. With the case of the above criteria, I'll consider a war film to be accurate or inaccurate if it attempts to portray historical events and people. So we're not including historical fiction here. A film could fall into the criteria if it depicts fictional events amidst a broader historical context or if it depicts historical events but with fictional characters. It's also worth noting that these criteria exist on a sliding scale. They're not absolute. As mentioned, we cannot expect 100% accuracy, so a handful of inaccuracies in any area does not automatically invalidate a film. It's when a film blatantly distorts the timeline or historical facts and figures that it begins to raise eyebrows. If it no longer resembles the actual history, then it's probably fair to say that it's no longer about the history, but rather about fiction. So let's look at some examples of historically inaccurate war films. Now, no, we're only really looking at war films here because this is not meant to be an exhaustive list and there are many, many other historically accurate or inaccurate films out there. For this post, we're really just looking at war films themselves. So, first off, the 2001 Michael Bay masterpiece Pearl Harbor. Oh boy, dear God, (laughs) where to start with this travesty? I'm pretty sure historian Gordon Prang turns over in his grave every time they show this turd on TV. The... Technical foul in this movie are far too many to count, there's obvious modern stand-ins for the ships, and the film has a pretty skewed and jingoistic portrayal of history, not to mention the cardboard characters. The only accurate thing about this film is Kate Beckinsale pulling off a pretty good American accent. Next, the 2001 film Enemy at the Gates. Now, I'm not an expert on the Battle of Stalingrad or the Eastern Front for that matter, but the whole story of a sniper duel is obviously contrived, and it's more or less based on Soviet propaganda. Now, yes, there was a Vasily Zaitsev, an actual real Soviet sniper, but from my understanding, the existence of a Major Erwin Koenig is dubious at best, and despite Zaitsev's claims. How about the 2005 film Jarhead, starring Jake Gyllenhaal? Now, I've never fought in a war, but I've heard that the only thing accurate about this film, and the book it's based on, for that matter, is that it captures the long periods of boredom in war. Now based off Anthony Swafford's own supposed experiences as a U.S. Marine Scout sniper during the Gulf War in, in 1991, the film depicts his unit as a bunch of rowdy misfits and undisciplined yahoos. It seems that every other incident in the film, and from my understanding more so in the book, is either ratcheted up to 11 or based off the many urban myths in the military. Naturally, Swafford was at the center of all of these events, and don't forget that he was the bad- baddest mother effer of them all. So to many Marines, Jarhad comes off as a long and fictitious tirade from a whiny former Marine who's upset that the Marine Corps didn't give him everything shown in the recruiting commercials. So in other words, he made up a bunch of fabrications. All in all, it's a fictitious and silly portrayal that has almost no bearing on the reality of what Marine Corps scout snipers really do and who they really are. So with that one out of the way, up next on our list of historically inaccurate disasters is 1995's Braveheart. Yes, indeed. This movie can't even get its dates correct, much less anything else about the historical period, characters, or the battles. It might, it might just take the cake for one of the most historically inaccurate films ever, In fact, the only thing accurate about this film is that it's based on the fables and the tales surrounding the historical person of William Wallace, never mind the actual history. I mean, if anything, the viewer might get an idea that the Scottish fought a war for independence against the English in the 13th century, and that there was a man named William Wallace, but that's pretty much it. Next, we have the 2000 little gem known as the Patriot. Yes, director Roland Emmerich took a shot at American history and he missed widely. While set during the American Revolutionary War, this film goes into great lengths to portray the British as incredibly unsympathetic and downright evil in some cases. Several of the main characters are composites of historical figures and the final battle in the film is a mix of like the Battle of Calpans and Guilford Courthouse, and, you know, it's just the history in this film is all over the place. You could pretty much classify it as historical fiction. Now, here's a nice one. How about 2006's 300? Let's see. This film is based on a Frank Miller comic book series that portrays the Battle of Thermopylae, but all the characters, particularly the Persians, appear to have come out of some mythological fantasy realm. At the time, Frank Miller comic book adaptations were kind of in vogue in Hollywood, and it was going for that kind of film noir comic book style of filming that, you know, made Sin City memorable. Yeah, so 300 was doing kind of the same thing. So, yeah, there's that. Unfortunately, a large part of this is it takes quite a few liberties with the actual history, from my understanding. But hey, at least you can enjoy watching Gerard Butler scream, this is sparta at the screen so if you're into that thing so with that being said okay we looked at uh, just you know a couple examples again these lists aren't meant to be exhaustive or anything but those are some examples of some pretty inaccurate war films so let's take a look at some actual historically accurate war films shall we so first up we have 1981's das boot Based on Lothar Gunther Buchheim's novel and own experiences aboard the German U-Boat U-96, this film, and the book, could technically be considered semi-autobiographical. While there are some differences from the actual history of the real U-96 and the characters are given fictional names in the film, the film makes the accurate list for being pretty much a technical masterpiece. Like, it's pretty much the most accurate submarine film out there. As in, like, it's the gold standard for any submarine film in terms of accuracy, modern or otherwise. Yeah. So the film was actually shot in sequence to capture the changes in skin color, skin tone, hair growth, and so on and so forth of the actors. And uh, the more you look into this film, the the more you realize, like how much work they put into it. Numerous models were used for the exterior shots and the interior sets were basically a one-to-one recreation of an actual Type 7C U-boat. And as a result, the film just captures the miserable conditions, the claustrophobia, and the terror aboard these iron coffins during the Battle of the Atlantic. Now, funny enough, Buchheim actually denounced the film when he saw it as a cheap action flick that lacks the anti-war message of his novel. That being said, audiences do disagree and they say, I don't know what film you're watching, Bukai, but this is one of the most realistic depictions of the ugliness of World War II submarine warfare out there. And basically anyone who watches this film, you'll definitely be glad you weren't aboard a U-boat after seeing this movie. Now there are a number of versions of this film. I would recommend at least watching the director's cut, which clocks in at around three and a half hours long, uh, the don't really bother with the theatrical version, which chops up chops it up and chops a lot of stuff out. The original uncut version that is from the TV miniseries further adds another 90 minutes, so it's around four hours or more long. Next up, we have We were Soldiers from two thousand two. Uh, another Mel Gibson film, well, not directed by Mel Gibson, but another film featuring Mel Gibson. Now say what you want about Mel Gibson and his weird racist rants, but the film We Were Soldiers mostly gets it right. About 75% right. The film portrays the Battle of the Ai Drang Valley in November of 1965 in the early days of the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. In particular, it shows the action that occurred at LZ X Ray, which pitted the U.S. Army's Air Cavalry's 1st Battalion, 7th Cavalry, under then Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, against some 4,000 North Vietnamese Army troops. The late Hal Moore actually consulted on the film and has said in, in interviews himself that the film is quote-unquote mostly accurate. Now, that being said, the final heroic bayonet charge up the mountain did not occur, and the film totally omits the second half of the Battle of the Eydrang Valley, where uh, at the nearby Elsie Albany, where the 2nd Battalion's 7th Cavalry under Lieutenant Colonel McDade basically got mauled in an ambush. Now, obviously, that omission was done for reasons of length and to keep the focus more or less on Hal Moore and his battalion. But that being said, I mean, the film is reasonably accurate to history. Next up, we have another Mel Gibson one. This is 2016's Hacksaw Ridge. Yep, a Mel Gibson-directed film. This is the story of Desmond Doss, a conscientious objector who served as an army medic in World War II in the Pacific and received the Medal of Honor for his heroism during the Battle of Okinawa. Well, the film is a little bit on the preachy side and it it almost gives Doss like Jesus-like qualities. Like you'd think he was like the messiah or something. But the film is a fairly accurate portrayal of his experiences on Okinawa at the Maeda Escarpment, a.k.a. Hacksaw Ridge. Up next we have 2019's Midway. Now I've already written a detailed review of this film uh, on the blog, but in short... I was very surprised that director Roland Emmerich made an accurate movie detailing the first rough six months of the Pacific War, and of course, the Battle of Midway, which occurred in June of 1942. Now, sadly, this is not a big box office hit, and it definitely appealed more to naval historians, such as myself. Now, given that Hollywood largely focuses on the European theater, and at a time when World War II is practically turning into myth in this, in this day and age, this film pretty much was a godsend for historians who study the Pacific theater. Again, a great irony considering that Roland Emmerich directed this film, which is pretty accurate, you know, it gets the main points of the Pacific War down, and yet he also directed the turd that was, of course, The Patriot, which we previously discussed. I can only conjecture that Midway must have been a real labor of love for Emmerich, and he must have surrounded himself with people who actually really like pounded home the idea that you need to get this as, this act this as accurate as possible. You can't go do another Patriot and start fiddling with the history again. So he must have surrounded himself with the right people, not a bunch of yes men or something. Or maybe Roland Emmerich actually suddenly decided, you know, within the past nineteen years of making the Patriot and midway that he was actually going to do it right for once so who knows up next we have Gettysburg a 1993 film this massive four and a half hour long epic was partially filmed on the actual battleground of Gettysburg and it used many many civil war reenactors as extra which kind of explains why so much of the clothing and the equipment and so on is accurate while it is not 100% accurate to history, the production used several Civil War advisors, historical advisors, to ensure its authenticity. Now, there is a prequel to this film released in 2003 called Gods and Generals, although that pretty much critically flopped at the box office. Up next, we have 1970s Torah Torah Torah. If you are not a masochist, then please forego watching Pearl Harbor right, in 2001, and instead, watch this. This was a joint American and Japanese production. The film is based largely on Gordon Prang's research into the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and believe me, anyone who has read any of Gordon Prang's trilogy of books on the attack on Pearl Harbor knows that he spent a long time doing research for that. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's based on his research, and it portrays both the American and the Japanese perspectives with pretty good fairness, and as a result, the film is very, very accurate, and it made extensive use of models and special effects that still look pretty good to this day. Now, it's not like you can tell in many shots that, yeah, that's a model, that's a model, that's a model, but, I mean, it still looks pretty good, and, you know, again, there's, there's almost like a charm to it, but yes, indeed, 30 years before Michael Bay ruined it, there was already a far superior and far more accurate historical film about the attack on Pearl Harbor. Following that, in 2004, we have Downfall, or Der Untergang. While famous for the Hitler rant YouTube parodies, right, Uh, Downfall accurately portrays Adolf Hitler's final days in his bunker during World War II. Now, the film is a little bit controversial for its more humanistic portrayal of Hitler, and the film doesn't really touch on what's going on outside of Berlin or it doesn't even really mention the Holocaust or anything, but honestly, personally, I would argue that well, Hitler is of course the personification of evil. It's important for us to remember that like these people were still human and Hitler was still human. Now I do not mean to imply that he is in any way deserving of sympathy, but one thing I really appreciated about the film was the humanistic, the human portrayal of him and which was really well done by the actor Bruno Ganz. So, yeah, a very um You know, a human portrayal of Hitler, not some, like, super, you know, comic book style, you know, madman. And finally, on our list, we have, (laughs) lo and behold, Schindler's List, 1993. Really not much needs to be said about this Steven Spielberg film. Now, it does have its supporters and detractors within the Jewish community, from my understanding, but no doubt there are a number of inaccuracies in this film. That being said, it still stands as an incredibly horrific portrayal of the Holocaust and the valiant efforts of Oskar Schindler to save many, many Jewish people. Now, when, when people think about Holocaust films, they pretty much think about this film, basically. So that's kind of my list of historically accurate war films. Now, yes, there are many, many more that I could... Include Again, the list is not meant to be exhaustive. You know, it's like, oh, why didn't you include, like, uh, The Great Escape or this or that film? Again, like, I don't, I'm not an encyclopedia of war films, you know? So speaking of, like, films I did not include, why didn't I include Saving Private Ryan, for example? Well, Saving Private Ryan is probably the foremost example of what I like to think of as the gritty and realistic war film. Now, in my opinion, Saving Private Ryan kicked off a whole slew of World War II films and, you know, miniseries like Band of Brothers and all that and video games and whatnot that followed its aesthetic example of, you know, the realistic and the brutal depiction of World War II warfare. You know, everyone's grimy and dirty and it's like kind of, you know, very intense violence, all that. But plot wise, Saving Private Ryan is very, very loosely based around the story of the Nyland Brothers, but It has fictional characters. Now, the battle scenes are visceral, and the hardware and the costumes are a visual treat to look at, but again, really, as with many of these films we'll see, it's really just historical fiction, right? It's inspired by a true story, you know? So up next on films I didn't include is U571, a 2000 Jonathan Mastow film. Well, the soundtrack is good. And I do like the themes in this film about, you know, kind of the the burden or the chains of command. But that's about it. The film really distorts history a great deal, and it's heavily, heavily biased towards the Americans. The British were not terribly pleased with it either. In fact, then Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, called the film, quote, an affront to British sailors, end quote. However, uh, U-571 isn't really based on any single historical submarine espionage mission so again we can call it historical fiction next we have the last samurai released in 2003 now regardless of your feelings on tom cruise his couch jumping scientology cultism antics and the white savior trope i really don't consider the last samurai to be a recreation of historical events again it's pretty much historical fiction it's set against a very romanticized depiction of Japan during the Meiji Restoration. It's very idealized. It's very idealized, and it's a heavily truncated depiction of essentially what's the Boshin Civil War and the Satsuma Rebellion. Now, Cruz's character of Algren is more or less uh, based on uh, French Captain Jules Brunet, Brunet, and Ken Watanabe's character is. Of Katsumoto is an obvious fictionalization of the real-life Saigo Takamori. So, again, the film is historical fiction, but set in a rough backdrop of the Meiji, of the early Meiji era. Now, to be honest, believe it or not, I actually really enjoy this film, despite its overly romanticized view of samurai and the Meiji era. Uh, The cinematography and the music are just excellent, and, you know, there's a lot I could talk about when it comes to The Last Samurai, but I personally opine and I think many others do as well that Tom Cruise's character Algren is not the last samurai of the story. Rather the film could be looked at as like well the Katsumoto character is the last samurai or it could be referring to samurai as plural in that you know Katsumoto and his you know group of samurai are the last samurai. So but we see at the end you know, Algren appear just before the Emperor wearing his U.S. Army uniform, and then he returns to the village in Western clothing. You know, there really isn't anything in the film saying that he somehow became the mighty whitey, you know, the white savior, and he became samurai. No, he just, he goes back in Western clothes, and he returns to the village, and the movie ends. So, up next, we have Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, released in 2003. Now, this film nearly made my list of accurate war films. Nearly. The overall historical backdrop of the Napoleonic Wars for this film is correct, and there was an actual HMS surprise. But the events and the characters of the Aubrey Maturin series from Patrick O'Brien's novels are fictional. Now, that being said, this film is a great throwback to kind of classic sea adventure films, right? Swashbuckling sea adventure films, and it has incredible attention to detail. The more I learn about the production of this film, the more I appreciate the work that went into making it. This film really is an excellent example of accurate historical fiction. Now, they're on my list to read, but I have not read any of the Aubrey Maturin series of books. But from what I've heard, they're so damn accurate in terms of the historical and technical details and the vernacular. There are entire supplemental books that have been published just just to explain the context, the historical context, and the jargon of the series, which the series exists in. Like, After you've read like the third or fourth book, you could practically sail a square rigged ship. You know, that's how accurate the series is. But anyway, the movie itself stands as just an amazing production value, a great piece of accurate historical fiction. So, yeah. But alas, it, you know, it's historical fiction. It didn't really, it's not really based on any one particular event. Now, Next, we have 2017's Dunkirk, a Chris Nolan film. While historically accurate in many respects, and yes, the evacuation of Dunkirk was a real thing, the characters are fictional or otherwise composites. Um, This was another hard film, which I kind of hemmed and hawed about, you know, whether or not I should include it in terms of on the historical accurate list. But kind of thinking about it, when I look at this film, it's less of a history lesson and more of an exercise in filmmaking. In kind of artsy filmmaking. Now, a director Christopher Nolan basically set out to make a narrative based on the audience kind of experiencing a particular event. In this case, the evacuation of Dunkirk, from three different perspectives and in three different kind of um, scopes of time. Right? You have the the beach, you have the air, and you have the sea. Right? The same event from three perspectives and three different um, time frames. So there's a heavy emphasis in Dunkirk on visuals on sound and on music but again you know we have largely fictional characters or otherwise composites based on a real life event but i mean it's not pretending to be a, a really historically accurate film necessarily so it's more of a an exercise in filmmaking so that is uh just uh, you know a handful of films that i did not include on my either of my lists this kind of brings me to the question of when is it actually acceptable to diverge from historical reality So in spite of my ranting, I don't feel that deviating from the facts is always wrong. Many ancient myths and legends have some basis in in fact, but of course embellish their stories to make a point. My problem with diverging from historical reality lies with marketing a fictionalization as hard fact, right? Again, the classic, you know, based on a true story, or this is a true story. Uh, Is it really? Did you get all the facts correct, you know? So when is it acceptable to alter the historical record when making a piece of entertainment? Because at the end of the day, films are entertainment, right? And these types of things, you know, it could be music, it could be film, it could be a video game or whatever. It comes and goes, right? So in 10, 20 years, is anyone going to really care? So anyway, when do I think it's acceptable to diverge from reality? Well, first off, I think historical fiction is a good example. Creating a fictional historical, uh, fictional story and with characters set against the historical backdrop is nothing new. In fact, you know, there's tons of novels and books out there that fall into that category of historical fiction. And when a writer has done their research, it could be a novelist, it could be a screenwriter, whatever. When they've done their research, then the work can be really entertaining without running the risk of condemning the memory of actual people and or events, you know, to the garbage heap. So you can still really respect the actual history in historical fiction. So again, Master and Commander is, I think, one example where they did it right, and Dunkirk will be another example. Another good reason to diverge from historical reality could be presenting alternative timelines or science fiction or fantasy. Now, basing a story off of hypothetical scenarios or science fiction or fantasy is obviously done for entertainment value. Now, of course, you know, the the Axis powers did not win World War II, nor did they take over the world as shown in The Man in the High Castle, right? No, a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier did not get mysteriously transported back in time to just before the attack on Pearl Harbor, as we see in the film The Final Countdown. But hey, I mean, things like that really do make for entertaining premises and thought exercises, right? And again, much like there are even books dedicating themselves to hypothetical alternative history. You know, what if? What if Christopher Columbus didn't cross the Atlantic? What if the Vikings didn't discover, you know, North America? What if this didn't happen? What if that didn't happen? You know, those are fun, hypothetical thought exercises we can engage in. So that is of course (laughs) an instance where you will have to diverge from the historical reality at some point in the timeline. Another reason to diverge from reality is when you're condensing a timeline. To streamline incredibly complex narratives is also understandable. I don't know how many people want to sit around watching a film about a five hour boardroom meeting. While I'm sure the transcript of that meeting is incredibly interesting to the historian, it's not really an essential detail for the overall narrative, right? We don't want to read the stenographic record of an entire court case or something, you know. The details can be trimmed down and provided to the audience who, you know, provided that they have a good understanding of the historical outcomes. So up next for reasons to tweak the history a bit is parody. They say that parody is the highest form of flattery. A work done for comedic effect and not meant to be taken seriously is also understandable. However, In this case, the creators do need to tread carefully to avoid appearing insensitive. So, I mean, just to give almost like a meta example, the movie Galaxy Quest. It hilariously depicts the premise of TV broadcasts of a Star Trek-esque TV show being interpreted by aliens as a real historical document of the crew of a starship. Of course, right? Once they actually get sent into space for real, they realize like, oh, no, we're just actors. And yeah, the film operates on a very meta level and it's just hilarious so but you know again like galaxy quest functions as both a comedy and both as a parody of star trek itself so that's a that's a good example although not based on any history but you get the idea but a parody of history works when it works well this kind of brings us to our conclusion right you know the whole once upon a time you know if a filmmaker is going to be taking extensive artistic license with the material then Honestly, I feel that instead of saying based on a true story, they should be using the, term, the words inspired by real events and people, and some films do do that. The semantics are slightly different. Inspiration, that is inspired by, implies a more fictional interpretation. At the end of the day, Hollywood is Hollywood, right? Filmmakers will forever be creating their own interpretations of reality, and moviegoers just love the classic film tropes. Sure, films are silly in their depiction of reality, but films are meant to entertain us. And that being said, if we're going to be bashing a serious film off of history, then there's only so many good reasons for portraying a wholly different reality, right? We shouldn't be taking historically based or inspired films as a source of genuine historical knowledge. But they can serve to pique our curiosity, as we've mentioned. I think at the end of the day, it's important that we don't fall for the easy and intellectually lazy path of letting sensationalism and entertainment dictate our understanding of history, right? We need to put some legwork in. We need to do the research. We need to let history itself tell a story. Let the facts serve as the real drama. We shouldn't just watch a historical film and say like, oh my gosh, you know, that totally influenced my interpretation of history. It's like, well, no you need to go out and read the actual history. What really happened? You shouldn't be getting your historical knowledge from a movie or a video game. It's, it's a big field of landmines, right? It's fraught with danger. So if you really want to study history, you got to put in the time and study the actual history, not just watch films. There we have it. There's uh, some of my uh, thoughts, my opinions on uh, you know, drama versus historical accuracy in war films. So I hope you enjoyed. Thank you.